The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... The most hopeful thing anyone said to me was, diabetes is not a death sentence. And I was like, jeez, <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, thanks. Let's set the bar as low as it is physically human to set it. <laughs> but before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? And welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again, week on week on week, consistently showing up for yourself and your health and your diabetes management and where better to do it. So this week I had a fantastic chat and a fantastic guest. And the guest that I have is from Cape Town in South Africa, Bridget McNulty, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 25. So about six years after I was diagnosed. Strangely enough, her father is actually from County Mayo in Ireland, which is exactly where Graham is from. Um, so very fitting. Bridget has two kids, six and eight. She is a writer, a content strategist, and co-founder of Sweet Life, which is South Africa's largest online diabetes community. Bridget also launched South Africa's first ever diabetic podcast, called South Africans with Diabetes. Again, very fitting. This was launched with the aim to answer the most commonly asked diabetes questions without the confusing medicine talk that we try to avoid as much as possible so we can understand. Bridget is the author of The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life, which was internationally published last year. And Bridget wrote this shortly after her own mother died quite suddenly. Bridget is someone who strongly believes it's possible to do anything at all you want with diabetes and simultaneously that there is great joy in the small everyday moments of your life, which you will hear a lot of detail about throughout this episode. I really, really enjoyed this episode and I absolutely know you're going to love listening to it too. Take it easy. So Bridget, you obviously hit a pretty big milestone in your own personal diabetes life, recently hitting 15 years with the condition. How does that feel? It actually feels quite epic, which is weird because I never know 
how to celebrate my anniversary. Like in the early years, I would buy myself a cupcake or like have an ice cream. And then one year I did, for my 13th, I did 13 things that I love doing, but I'd never know what to do. And then this 15 year hit and I was like, wow, that is, that's a significant chunk of time. So I read about 15 things that diabetes had taught me. And it's so interesting because I run, so I run Speed Life Diabetes Community, which is South Africa's largest online diabetes community. And I'm online all the time and we're sharing information and advice and tips all the time. But it, but it's not a lot of my journey with diabetes because that's it's a community. It's not about me. But it was so lovely to get responses from people saying, oh, yeah, I totally agree with that one. Or I feel the same way. Or thanks so much for sharing your journey. So now I want to start doing kind of a monthly reflection on my personal journey with diabetes, because I, I think that's also how we learn. Hey, absolutely. And I think what I found even fascinating was I read through the 15 things that diabetes has taught you that you listed out. And mm. it was almost as if you were inside my own brain. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but it, I, I found it fascinating, but also not surprising because mm. all of these things that you have felt diabetes have taught you have absolutely been lessons throughout my 10 11 years with the condition and mm. if you were to kind of package them up into say your top three things that diabetes has taught you Bridget what do you think they would be gosh I wish I had the list in front of me so I could do a cheat sheet do you want but, me to read it out? I haven't. No, no, no. <laughs> they were, They may not be the same. But yeah. but if I if I take kind of an umbrella view of what it's taught me, I mean the big glaring things are that you can try your best, but you're not actually in ultimate control, and that applies to everything, right? That applies to blood sugar. Sadly, it applies to like your work life, your family life, the health of people that you love, like that's one of the big lessons in life is we try our best every day and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then we try our best the next day and, and to not beat yourself up about that is so important. And that took me at least a decade. I want to say longer than a decade because I really like things being just so, and I've really worked hard at that. So that's one of the things. And then the other thing is, is really not to take good health for granted. And I think Everyone feels this with or without diabetes at some stage, like when you get over the flu, you feel it, or when you get over COVID or when you've had a stomach bug and then you feel better, you have that sense of, ah, oh, I feel really well, thank God. But diabetes has really like deeply in my bones taught me that because I'm so grateful to be strong and healthy and vital and full of energy because that's not always the reality, but most of the time it is. And, and, and I'm very conscious of that. And then the other thing it's taught me is the power of, of sharing and vulnerability and, and sharing our experiences and not having to have this magical golden sheen over everything because no one's got this waxed and this is diabetes and this is life. Like no one has this life waxed. And the more we can just be like, yo, I am struggling with this at the moment, the more human we can all be together. Do you think these lessons came about or you were kind of taught these lessons over that longer period of time or are there any sort of specific moments with any of these you've just listed that really amplified or highlighted them more gosh that's a great question i think the 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 gratitude for feeling healthy has been consistent and has changed like with different periods so i was desperately sick when i was diagnosed as many type ones are 
and I didn't think I would ever be well again. And then when I was, I was so grateful. And then I've had two pregnancies with type one, which is a whole different ball game. And that like deeply exhausts you. And then sleep deprivation with kids, with young kids is a thing. And I feel like when I came out of that, which was probably when my youngest was like two-ish and she's now six, so like four years ago, I felt really grateful for health again and for energy again. The control thing has been in recent years because I didn't really think, I thought everyone just felt like that. Like everyone beat themselves up when their blood sugar went high or low. And then I don't know what's been happening in Ireland, but in South Africa, there's been this real shift to talking about mental health and diabetes in the last two or three years. And I'd say probably coinciding with COVID and everyone talking about mental health more, but there's really been an emphasis on mental health and diabetes. And a lot of the work that we do with Sweet Life is we kind of pick up on trends of what people are talking about and then do the deep dive. So we did a diabetes journal for 2021 that was specifically about mental health and diabetes and like walking you through the year. And I interviewed a psychologist for it. And I essentially was like, I, I was very honest with him. I was like, this is just going to be free therapy for me. Let's talk about how people <laughs> with diabetes, aka me, beat themselves up when they go high, but don't mind so much when they go low because sometimes, somehow that makes sense in my head. It was remarkably effective to get free therapy. And what he helped me do was reframe it as, I always use this as my example because I get it wrong every time. You know when you make rice in the microwave and inevitably the rice overboils. I don't know how. I like have written down the ratios, but the rice (laughs) boils over every single time. And I'm never mean to myself about it. Like when it boils over, I'm just like, oh, well, I got the calculations wrong. Let me just clean it up. But I get the calculations wrong with my blood sugar and I'm like, oh, you've gone high. Come on. What's what's that about? And so I've had to, to really train myself out of that as my default option. And that's only been in the last couple of years. Yeah. Our own reactions to highs and lows are can be so personal to each person. And mm. I talk about it a lot on this podcast and people are probably sick of me talking about it on this podcast. <laughs> but our reactions to highs and lows are vital because they can dictate, yeah. you know, how we feel and behave over the next few hours, you know, our mood, our our performance, our energy, that it can be affected significantly by. But even with those kind of tips that you took on board or how you trained yourself to feel or think differently about it, how did you? Mm. I had to work fairly hard and probably like practically how I did it was, was through like extensive journaling about this to take the sting out of the highs. So what was so interesting to me was that I didn't beat myself up about lows. If I went low, I was like, oh, well, need to take some sugar and some flavor and then move on with the day. And I would, I would be like, okay, well, this is why that happened. Like you always look back and recognize, but the highs because, and I find, I mean, I find the psychology of diabetes fascinating Mm. because it's so tied up in what we eat, right? And what we eat is choices, but choices and family and desire and treating ourselves because we've had a hard day, like all of that stuff is all wrapped up into the food choices that we make. And I think a lot of the time, if I was going high, it was because I was eating something that I shouldn't, like shouldn't in inverted commas, because who's making these rules about what you should and shouldn't eat. And it wasn't necessarily that it was something that 
wasn't making my body feel well, which is how I choose what to eat now, but it was something that I had deemed that I shouldn't eat. And so then you underdose for something that you shouldn't eat, right? Because if you don't dose as much, then it hasn't happened. Like none of this makes sense. But it, when I started talking about it with the psychologist, these were the narratives I'd been telling myself. And and so that went a big way to just be like, oh, wait, this is whack. Like I shouldn't be beating myself about, up about this because this isn't actually true. And then a lot of it was just practice, like just repeating every time I saw her, oh, that's interesting. Or low, oh, that's interesting. Why did that happen? Let's try and figure that out. And then I think it also helped to, like the, the Freestyle Libra only came to South Africa a couple of years ago um, and has we've been doing a lot of advocacy work around getting it covered for people. And so I've only been wearing that for the last couple of years. And that also helped because you can adjust things before they're bad, right? Like you can see the direction that your blood sugar is going and make micro adjustments so that you're not getting as many peaks and valleys, ideally. Um, so I think that also helped. So it was like emotional upskilling and then tech upskilling at the same time. It's funny that, well, not funny, but it's, it's interesting that you say you almost had more of a reaction to your highs than your lows. And I am exactly the same as that. I Really? That yeah, is oh, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because I thought that might be weird of me. No, absolutely not. And it's funny, Bridget, as well, because I only had this conversation with somebody the other day about how she much prefers lows than highs. Mm. Because typically people will much prefer highs than lows because the immediate impact yeah. of a low can obviously be potentially yeah, more severe. Terrible. Yeah. But I hate highs. And much mm. like yourself, I've kind of had to train myself to disconnect emotionally to those mm, highs mm. because the way you look at it and the reality of it is they're inevitable to a certain extent yeah. and yeah. if we have an emotional response every single time our blood sugar Ugh. doesn't behave how we want it to we're gonna leave, live a pretty stressed life i know and just exhausting right mm. and also like what is the test for that was the other thing that helped me was to almost take a step back and be like okay so we're looking at at broad averages here, right? Like we want things to be as, you want to be in your time and range to be as much in the zone that you've set as possible. But one individual day isn't actually going to make a difference. And so don't ruin your day by getting so emotionally attached to the numbers. Like that that helped a lot because it made me look at quality of life stuff. And whenever I think about diabetes management, my, my own diabetes management, that's what I'm looking at. So like I'm going to see my endo next week. And what I love about him is the first question he always asks is, how are you? But he actually wants to know, like, how are you? Like, how's your quality of life? What's going on? Like how much space is diabetes taking in your life? And I count myself as being in a good space with my diabetes when it's not taking up that much space, when it's like not crowding out thoughts of the rest of my life. Do you feel as the years have gone on, you've spent more or less time with your diabetes or on your diabetes, let's say? I mean, I want to say less, right? Because one would hope that that's the trend <laughs> that we're going in. Um, I blamed children for, so I had a, I had like a good, I had a good decade before. No, I didn't have a good decade. My son is eight. 
I'm like, I had seven years before I had kids and my diabetes was like pretty easy to manage then. And then I had kids and I blamed that it got harder to manage after that. Like my carb to insulin ratio and everything changed. I blamed that on having children. And then when I pointed this out to my doctor once, he was like, well, except you also moved to a house from a flat when you had children and your lifestyle changed completely because I would walk around town. I would like, I didn't drive anywhere because I had so much time to myself. I was going to yoga three times a week. Like I had really a lot of time and I was much more physically active because I didn't have to look after small people. Um, so that adjustment has made it necessary to spend more time on my diabetes. But I've also with, I'm 40 this year. So with great old age comes some wisdom and like I now know what food to eat. So that's amazing. It's made it so much easier to spend less time on it because I eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch every day. Cause I found the world's greatest breakfast and the world's greatest lunch, according to me. And so I can not have to think about that as much. So it, it's probably equal, right? I think even on the best days, diabetes still takes up a significant amount of headspace, but it can be calm headspace or it can be frantic headspace. And it's now much calmer than it used to be. I'm curious to know what the world's best breakfast and lunch are, <laughs> according to you. No one else <laughs> agrees with me, <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned. So I have, oh, but aren't you like a health? Um, it's fine. I mean, I'm sad. I don't judge. I don't judge. Don't be worried. <laughs> okay, good, good. Your, your listeners are going to be like, oh my God, what is she doing? So I have um, plain full cream yogurt with nuts and coconut for breakfast. And then depending on the season, I'll either have blueberries in it. So at the moment, there's like this crazy overabundance of blueberries in South Africa, which is glorious. Or there's this thing called Nomu Skinny Hot Chocolate, which is like a I guess it's like a, it's supposed to be a hot chocolate, but if you put like a quarter of a teaspoon in, it turns the yogurt into chocolate yogurt and feels like pudding. It feels so much like pudding that I give it to my kids as pudding and they don't know that it's sugar-free <laughs> and actually very healthy. And I don't actually take, I don't actually believe in any other sugar-free things, but this stuff is like crack. It's amazing. So I have yogurt, fruit, yogurt, fruit and nuts for breakfast. And then for lunch I have, this is odd, but it's amazing and you should try it. Avocado, cucumber, um, and feta with whatever fruits in season. So it's either strawberries or today I had it with a nectarine. Um, in winter, I'll have it with a nachi, which is not a nachi in Ireland. What would that be? Like a miniola? Like a piece of citrus. <laughs> I don't know what it's called over there. Um, yeah, that's it. That sounds really nice. It's delicious because salads, who's like, I, I tried for so long to eat salads, but leaves are so boring. So this is all the good stuff in a salad without the boring stuff. And then you put like fresh black pepper on it and black pepper and strawberries, beautiful, black pepper and nectarines, beautiful. It's wonderful. I'm just pitching in my head, Bridget, all these different colors, which I know which, it's uh, eating a rainbow. vast majority of the time equals taste in my opinion. I know. Um, so and it's like nice. fresh and it's crunchy and creamy. I love it. Yeah. Others are not as enthused. I've given it to a couple of people who are like, yeah, it's okay. But also what a joy, right? Because I know exactly how much to jab. I know what the response is going to be. My fruit is like my favorite food on earth. Before I was diagnosed, I was eating 10 pieces of fruit a day. Those were the days. Mm. And thank God I can eat fruit. I know some people it like spikes their sugar like mad and I can eat it. No problem. Thank heavens. Um, and so that's always my first carb of choice. I'm like, well, I can cut down on carbs, but give me some fruit. Yeah. And there's oh, there's so many different types of fruit that are just unbelievable. 
and I'm in South Africa, and so like we are the fruit growers spoiled, of the world. Spoiled for fruit. Yeah. I know. You touched on something there, Bridget, that reminded me again of a previous conversation that I've had um, around how you know when all these other elements in your life are are changing and shifting, mm. and your routine is going from calm and relaxed to chaotic mm. and manic. It mm. oftentimes we almost have this expectation that our blood sugar should still be the same. Yeah, no, please. And, <laughs> and sometimes that that can be where people struggle, where it's like, well, I know my bloods are predictable when I get up and I work at my desk and I go to the gym, mm. but things are chaotic when the other areas of my life are chaotic and unpredictable. Yeah. And I think that's the shift where it's like, well, we need to be in a certain headspace to be able to say, okay, our environment and our climate and our routine is changing. So therefore, and our sleep, exactly. And therefore, that's going to reflect in blood sugar. Yeah, yeah. Are there any kind of core fundamentals, Bridget, that you stick to or aim to stick to, to kind of be your foundation in terms of your diabetes management, regardless of how chaotic your life may be? So sleep is a huge one for me. And it always has been. It's interesting when you look back at like, before diabetes and after, like sleep has always been a priority for me. And I need to sleep quite a lot, which I think is interesting. Like eight hours is the minimum. And when I was in my twenties, I would catch up on the weekend with like 10 hour sleeps. That sadly doesn't happen much anymore. But if I'm not sleeping enough, I can feel it in my system the next day. I feel like wired and there's too much cortisol going on. Exercise, I've only realized in the last couple of years is just it's like the bricks that our lives are built on, right? If you like, and and I'm not organized ex- exercise at all. Like my exercise is walking, hiking and yoga and swimming in the sea. But if I'm not doing that, everything suffers. Like my blood sugar is whack and unpredictable. My mental health isn't as good. Like things stress me out much easier. My sleep isn't as good. Like it, it all centers on the fact that our bodies were made to be moving and we need to keep them moving if we if we want to keep healthy. And then the food thing. So so a lot of people can't eat the same thing every day. And I totally hear that. I can't wear the same outfit every day. But I really find it helpful to have at least breakfast the same because like on the weekend, I'll eat different things for lunch, but I still eat my magical breakfast because then at least you're starting the day not having to think about it. And then a large dose of life is supposed to be a joy. So then if it's the weekend and we're going to a wine farm or we're going to a friend's for lunch, like just a sense of, oh, well, blood sugar is not going to be amazing today. And that's fine because most of the time it is. And that's what feels so nice about having the general routine of things is then you can afford to break out of it because it's not happening every day. Like the rest of the time, things are are generally ticking along the way they should. Yeah, it touches on the idea of what you had already touched on in the sense that it's the overall average. And Mm. like if you're typically in a routine and you know what to expect from your bloods and your bloods are behaving for the most part the way you want, you can go to a winery, you know, and expect bloods to be somewhat unpredictable because at least 80% of the time you're, you're managing things, you're in range. Absolutely. And then it doesn't have as much of an impact too. It's the same as like, like my kids don't have diabetes. 
I don't want to say yet, it's still an option because they're six and eight, so they could still still be diagnosed. But we still obviously don't give them a lot of sugar because we all know what sugar does to the body. But it's so interesting to me now when I do when they do have something sweet, they can feel it in their bodies and they'll like run around like lunatics and then have a sugar crash and they can identify that this is a sugar crash and they have all that extra energy because they've had sugar. And I feel the same way about my diabetes management. Like I can have treats now and again because I know what healthy and normal feels like. And then it actually feels kind of sucky and I probably don't want to be doing it that much, but it's nice to be able to let go now and again so that you can do, I don't want to say normal life things, but the things that people without diabetes are doing all the time. But if you do that all the time, then you're just exhausted and wrung out and high and low and roller coaster and emo. And like, that's just, that's too much work. And that's diabetes taking up too much space as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there saying about you can identify when you feel good and when you don't feel so good. And for if, if we are aiming to be in range for the majority of our time, then we can get used to and accustom and, and normalize the way we should feel. And then, you know, if things aren't going as planned necessarily, Mm. we notice, oh, this isn't great. And I don't want to stay this kind of way. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting part of diabetes management. That's not actually ever told to you, right? (laughs) Like when you're diagnosed, I feel like that should be one of the first things that they're like, your body will tell you how you're feeling. And if you can learn to communicate with your body and hear what your body is telling you, then you will know things. So like for myself, I find that glucose variability is really important to me. Like if I can keep mostly flat lines, because you know, you can have a day that's mostly in range and and there's like top of the line, bottom of the line, top of the line, bottom of the line all day. And you can have a day that's mostly in range and there's a more gentle undulating line. The, The gentle undulating line makes me feel so much better and takes up so much less space because I'm not having to do the micro adjustments all the time and like worrying if I'm going high or worrying if I'm going low, that I feel like that's my goal most of the time is just to keep things ticking along quietly in the background as much as possible. Absolutely. And it's like when you have that sort of routine or these almost kind of like automatic strategies in place Mm. to ensure that you feel that way consistently, you're just you're not spending as much time or energy or yeah. even headspace thinking about your diabetes. Yeah. That's my goal in life. I just yeah, don't have to think about it that much. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel, Bridget, was that something that you learned over time? Like when you touch on how you feel with the blood sugar, uh, I'm not gonna say volatility, but the difference between the highs and lows or these different days that you've been explaining. Did you learn that over time or did you kind of become more aware of it over time or did you instantly feel these differences there's nothing instant none of us know anything instantly (laughs) and also it's you've got to you've got to learn what price is worth paying for it right i think that's the interesting part about diabetes is that in my early my early years as a youngster i the most important thing to me was to be able to eat what i wanted and eat like my friends and so because I was 25 when I was diagnosed. So it was really important to me to be able to just jab for whatever I was going to eat. Regard, not regardless of how it made me feel, but that was secondary. Whereas now 
I don't really care what other people think. And I value the way I feel and the energy that I have and not having to keep checking my blood sugar because now I've eaten something crazy and it's going to be up for the next couple of hours. Like I value that peace of mind more. And I do think that's something that comes with age because it's, it's something you have to grow into. It's not something that you can have immediately. But speaking of the highs too, I think the reason it bothers me so much is that it can take so long to come down. Whereas a low you can fix in like 15 minutes and then you don't have to think about it. I mean, not actually 15 minutes. It probably takes half an hour, 45 minutes. But sometimes highs just take ages and you have to be patient. And I'm not so good at being patient. It's like we are singing off a very, very similar <laughs> hymn sheet here, Bridget, because it's almost like you're taking the words out of my mouth. But I'm interested to know, of top ones that you've interviewed, are many of them type A personalities? Like, like being organized, would like things to be in control if possible. Most of, yeah. Because I've noticed this pattern in all the type ones that I know. And I asked an endocrinologist about it. I was like, what's going on here? Like, how, how is a personality type more likely to develop a condition? Mm. And he said, I'm going to butcher his words. But the essential thing was that if you like things to be, if you like to be in control and you like things to be a certain way, you are probably more stressed than other people because you're on high alert more of the time. And so then when an autoimmune comes, I'm butchering this completely, you, your immune, no, I butchered it. What is it? What is the no, reason behind it? You're making sense. You're making sense. Am I making sense? Absolutely. What did he say? He said it was something about like your fight or flight. Oh, that was it. Your fight or flight. So your immune system is so concerned with fight or flight, which is externally focused, that it can't switch internally focused. That's it. Because so often type, the type ones that I know, and this is obviously like circumstantial, but the type ones that I know were diagnosed soon after a stressful incident. And so in the stressful incident, because they felt so out of control, they were in fight or flight the whole time and their bodies couldn't do the other immune system functioning because your immune system is either in fight or flight or in internal healing. And so that's why the autoimmune took over. Horribly butchered, but you basically get the idea. I think it's interesting because also, could you possibly get a worse condition if you like being in control than type 1 diabetes in which you can never properly be in control? So essentially what they were saying was potentially a, a very stressful period or moment Mm. or even environment to a certain extent, could have yep. been the catalyst to you developing type 1. Because, so what's the the only definition I've been given for the cause of type 1 is a combination of two or more immunological insults. But those, when I dug deeper, they said, the doctor said, that could be like a virus and then another virus. But we get viruses all the time and we get over them. But something about this, these ones, our body wasn't able to fight it off properly. And that could be potentially because it was busy doing something else. Did you have a stressful incident before you were diagnosed? That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to think about that. Oh, right no. Now. Come on. It doesn't spring to mind. Oh, was I stressed? Was I stressed? Come on. Uh, see, it's a fascinating way to, to think of it. And I haven't, I hadn't really kind of flipped it that way before because I was always coming at it from a place of, well, even from my own perspective and many other type one diabetics that I've spoken to, I would kind of put those pieces together as well, this person, or again, from my perspective, I mm -hmm. am 
super structured and routined and mm-hmm. that need to be in control because of my diabetes. Uh, so I was like, old enough to know it was the other way around <laughs> for yeah. me. So do you feel, was there a stressful period in your life that you feel led to it? Oh yeah, like crazy stressful. So I had just left home. Mine was good stress though, which is also interesting. It wasn't like bad stressful. I had just left home for the first time. I'd moved to a new city, got my first full-time job. I was features writer at Real Simple, like dream job. I had just published my first novel and I was like riding around the city on a scooter, high on life because there was so much going on all the time and then started losing weight. And I was like, well, this is amazing. My magical life just got better. I can eat what I like and I'll lose weight. And then all the other symptoms came and I got horribly sick and realized that it wasn't as magical as I thought. But it was like the most stress I had been under in my life. But then I also think, I've thought about like the philosophical side of diabetes a lot. And then I also think, well, maybe you get led to a condition because there's a need, right? So like you perhaps got led to diabetes so that you could have this podcast and start your program and help other people through it because you were the right person to do that. I perhaps got led to diabetes so I could start Sweet Life and help other people with diabetes because I was the right person to do that. I don't know. I think about that a lot too. And it's like maybe the the purpose that we all have. It's something that I think about and I a lot of my own time I spend thinking about even just the psychological aspects of diabetes and yeah. you know, how I am now compared to how I was prior to diagnosis and yeah. like the changes that we all experience and feel throughout the years with the condition. No, that's a, that's a fascinating thought. And I'm definitely going to, I'm here scratching my head thinking about it because I'm now going to spend the entire weekend <laughs> thinking Sorry. about, no, no, it's a, it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm now going to spend the entire weekend, Bridget, thinking back to when I was diagnosed your parents will immediately know what was happening beforehand. They listen to this podcast too, so that conversation is coming up. Hi, <laughs> mom and dad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so I, I, I find it fascinating only because I had noticed the pattern so many times and I kept meeting all these people who felt like when a type A meets a type A, it's like kindred spirits, right? Because you're the most organized person in the room. And, and, and it was weird that I kept meeting all these people who were the same and had type one, but had been diagnosed at different ages. So it wasn't, it wasn't as straight a line as like, oh, this is why I got super organized because of diabetes. And then there's lots of people with diabetes who aren't super organized. So it's it's not a, it's not a straight line at all. Um, And then when I asked this endocrinologist, he said, he's noticed the pattern a lot. And from a physiological perspective, that was his understanding was that certain personality types are more prone to stress that would have a different response to an autoimmune. Then, of course, the whole thing falls to pieces when you think about people who are diagnosed as babies. So it's not a blanket rule in the slightest. So basically what you're saying, Bridget, is if you don't want to be diagnosed with diabetes, don't be organized <laughs> Chill at all. Out. Chill <laughs> out. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy your life. <laughs> there was an interesting, and it was actually my parents who told me about it, but when I was, I think, like 10 days old, I had some virus and I was in I was in an incubator and I had to get like a lum- lumbar puncture and these kind of things gosh and that's now I'm, I'm, I was fine thankfully I'm still here but I've had a couple of conversations with my own doctors around was there some sort of virus yeah. 
almost dormant in my system up until the time I was diagnosed. And now having this conversation, I'm like, well, if that virus was potentially dormant in my system, in combination with a stressful period of my life, could that have led to the eruption to keep yeah. the volcano. So I had pericarditis when I was 14, which is what Bob Dylan had. <laughs> the only fun fact I knew about it. It's when the outer lining of your heart, your pericardium, you get a, a virus there, I think. If doctors are listening, they can correct me. But I got it from, you know, you're always told not to exercise if you have the flu. But for my 14th birthday, I was given a trampoline, a mini trampoline. <laughs> and so obviously I jumped on it obsessively <laughs> and then got pericarditis. But it was super, like, it was like super weird for a 14-year-old to get pericarditis. And the doctor who diagnosed me said that could have been the initial virus that later triggered the diabetes. I still love trampolines, though. I'm not holding it against them. Do you know what? You've just brought it up. Uh, it's completely unrelated to diabetes, but it's related to trampolines. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> one, 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 one Christmas time, I got a trampoline and I was like a maniac bouncing on it every day, yeah. every day, every day. But basically, one of the days I jumped on the trampoline and you know when you're coming back down, you purposely put so much <gasps> pressure to bounce as high as you can. Yeah. I went straight through the trampoline. Oh! And I thought I broke both my legs. And <gasps> thankfully, I didn't. Now, I ended up like uh, tearing ligaments in both feet. Really, oh, God. Really I couldn't walk for like six weeks. But I had to crawl back <laughs> in, into my house yeah, because I thought my legs were broken. Now, thankfully, they weren't. God. But uh, unrelated to diabetes, but it just reminded me. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 